Charlie, the Bulldogs have got two flags now. I hate you. If you think we'll be insightful, clever or just well researched, we're here to say that's not the case. We'll just go out and wing it. We are two guys, one cup. It is Thursday, April the 20th. This is Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL podcast. My name is Will Anderson. And my name is Charlie Clawson. And uh, it's nice to have you here, Charlie. Uh, well, not really here. I well, mean, not really here. We're, we're closer. We're, we're in the same country, at least. Yeah, this is the first Two Guys, One Cup that we have done uh, this year when we've been in the same country. Uh, but we are not in the same state. We're still not in the same room. <laughs> But we are edging gradually closer. By the finals, we might actually do one where we're in the same room. Yeah, we had the opportunity to um, actually do it in the same room, but it would have been a big weekend of football. Will, you almost had a heart attack on uh, Friday night. Well, you were there with me, Charlie, so yeah. you can describe what it was that... A, so it was, the, it was it, the first ever Good Friday game that was played between North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs, and uh, Charlie came over to my apartment in Melbourne because we were doing the big live TOEFOP show the next night, and we had some posters uh, that we need to sign. And then uh, we decided, uh, seeing the game was on, that we would sit and watch the, the game of football. So, Charlie, uh, why don't you take the story from here? Well, the first thing I'll say, Will, is it's good to know that I'm not the only insane person in the world <laughs> because... <laughs> As the game grew tighter, for people who don't know, it came down literally to the last kick of the game. I think uh, uh, Kangaroos were like five points down. Lindsay, uh, uh, Lindsay Thomas had a shot on the run with like 10 seconds to go and missed. But Will was bending, contorting himself into so many different shapes out of pure anxiety. Like I think you, we actually stopped conversing for the last half hour because you just could not stop yelling at the TV. And you took about five or six trips outside, outside the apartment just to get some fresh air because you're feeling so tense. It was, it was good to know because that's what I'm like. I, 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 when friends want to come around and watch the footy with me, I'm always like, okay, that's fine. But you realize you will not get my attention, especially if it's a close game. Oh, mate, I honestly, like two hours later when I was doing my show, I was still feeling stressed. <laughs> In fact, you know, you, know what you, you know what you say about contorting? Um, I, I was telling you just off air before we started that like I couldn't sleep last night because you know, both my hips were giving me so much trouble. I think that like after that game, if I was a player, I would be ruled out for a week with hip soreness just from being a spectator. I would have been like one of the players who was meant to be coming back next week, went to watch the game from the coach's box, and now is out for an extra week with hip soreness in both hips from contortions. Yeah, and I felt that I was being a good supportive friend. Like, you know, I was saying all the right things about, oh, no, you guys have got this and stuff. But secretly, I was thinking, oh, shit, this could be a boil over. This could be amazing. Like, I was, part of me was secretly bar barracking for an upset because I'm like, oh, what the fuck's going to happen here? We're, we're bloody like 12 stories up. Will could throw himself over the edge. Oh, I mean, there, there was a little bit of that. I was like, you know, this will be, you know, it might not be just Jesus who dies on Good Friday. It might be me as well. <laughs> And I don't think I'm going to make it back for Monday. That's the difference. I mean, that's the thing about Jesus, like in the footy analogy. He was like your Jimmy Steins. You know that period of, uh, like, uh, there was that time where Jim Steins, it did not matter. He, like, broke his knee one week and then he still played the next weekend. He had that yeah. remarkable sort of durability. Cons yeah, that's what Jesus run. was like. Yeah. yeah well, it you know? it well, it makes sense, actually, that the Good Friday analogy is perfect because what you've been experiencing is some football immortality. 
But on Friday, you were brought back to Earth. It could have been very human. Like, I guess you could almost dismiss the Frio thing as an aberration. You lose to Frio. It was, it was over in WA. But if you'd lost this game, like, you were seriously concerned. You were very, very... not. You weren't critical of your own team, but you were very disappointed in the performance they were putting in. And I started to see some shades of that old Bulldog supporter coming back. Like the guy that I sat next to at the grand final, the one who was convinced that it wasn't going to happen, I started seeing that guy again. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm disappointed at how quickly that comes back. <laughs> it, it, turn, it turns out that winning the AFL grand final is not a cure-all for your football perspective. Like, yeah. it's not like suddenly I went into this season and I suddenly felt like a Hawthorne supporter must normally feel like just that quiet confidence that no matter what's going on, everything's going to be okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, like everybody else, now treat last year as a bizarre uh, thing that happened that no one can really explain <laughs> and everything will go back to normal. And <laughs> it was one of those things where... Uh, you know, to, to use the kind of Jesus analogy one more time, you know, the loss to Frio didn't really bother me because Frio clearly aren't going to be a finals team. Well, they probably aren't going to be a finals team this season. So to me, that was like Jesus hanging out with the lepers. That was like Jesus, you know, washing the feet of the prostitutes, you know. That was your charity work. You go over to Frio, you know, Frio wins a game. That actually enhances your reputation. Everything's fine. But if we come back on Good Friday and lost that one as well... To North Melbourne, you know, who really, uh, you know, as much as they are a very determined team, there's no doubt about that, North Melbourne, like they they have a absolute crack. But if we had lost to them, and we probably should have lost to them, I that was going to kill me. Dare we say, Will, they showed the shin bonus spirit. They had a little bottle there, oh. as Crackers Keenan might say, that little bottle next to them. They cracked it open, they took a little whiff, and you know what was in that bottle, Will? A little bit of shin bonus spirit. Now, I need to point out for the people at home that what Charlie just did then was what Charlie did about every five minutes when we were watching this game of football on Good Friday. He would sit next to me on the couch and he would mime opening the little bottle of Shimbona Spirit and then he would take a little sniff of the Shimbona Spirit. And then what I loved in your mime was you would put the lid back on the Shimbona Spirit Put it down on the table or in your pocket, and then five minutes later, pull it out again, have another little sniff. Well, it's a long season, Will. You know, it's very expensive, that shin bonus spirit. More expensive than cocaine. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's only for sniffing, though. Yeah. That's the thing about it. You never drink the shin bonus spirit. You never have a slug of the shin bonus spirit. You just have to... Have a little sniff of the Shinbona spirit. Yeah, maybe Shinbona spirit's like the amyl nitrate of the AFL. You just, you know, just a little hit. Just a little hit to get you going. Right, when you're down the AFL glory hole, somebody passes it through and just says, would you like a little sniff of this Shinbona spirit? You're on the dance floor at a nightclub. Somebody sidles up. Hey, you want some Shinbona spirit? Yeah, having a hard time getting an erection? It's a little Shinbona spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck though. I mean, can you, you know the thing about that's why it's, uh, North Melbourne have such a hard time playing in 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 New South Wales. They can't beat Sydney. They can't beat GWS, and that's because you know after ten o'clock at night you can't purchase Shimbona Spirit <laughs> in New South Wales now. So um, I thought remarkably little was made of the fact that Lindsay Thomas missed the shot in his two hundredth game, the chance to be the hero. I thought more people... I mean, there tends to be a real dislike of Lindsay Thomas. Like, I, there's a lot of criticism about him being a diver and all that kind of stuff. But 
I was amazed how little was made of the fact that, geez, like, you know, that was the kind of childhood dream moment, running into goal to win the game and you're 200th and he missed it. It's like, have we grown, have we grown uh, more sympathetic to Lindsay Thomas or was the biggest story the cloak thing? You know, the interesting thing to me about Lindsay Thomas is because he is certainly one of those players who cops it and cops it really hard, Lindsay Thomas. And I always wonder a little bit why. I heard him interviewed on the radio this week and he was very defensive of the idea that, you know, yeah, of course he admitted to the fact that occasionally he'd like probably overplayed for free kicks for those sort of things. But mm. he's like 25th in the league or something in, you know, those style of free kicks. So he's not really the number one perpetrator of it. And, you know, when you hear of other clubs, I mean, you know, the one that always comes up, of course, is, you know, Selwood, for example. You know, the way mm. that Selwood drops his shoulders when he gets tackled so the tackle goes high. You know, there's not a huge difference between those two things. It's just somebody pushing the edges of the rule to try to get an advantage. It's not like he's outwardly cheating. Like, you know, I mean, it, and if, you know, it's also one of those things where you get, I always think there's so many things in football where people do try to get away with it. Like, I mean, even with this deliberate out of bounds, right, you see players now not going for the ball, kind of shepherding it across the line because, you know, then they might get a free kick. Mm. Isn't that kind of just the same thing as like, you know, when somebody pushes you a bit from behind, you put an extra dive into it to kind of sell the free kick? I'm, I, I think he gets an unfair rap. But there is something about, look, I'm not saying he is a diver. I know lots of players do drop the knees and stuff. But I think what it is... Well, Matthew what Lloyd I, was a diver. Of course. You know, like, I mean, the, he admits it. And he was one of the greatest full forwards of all time. But it's the... I think the one of the things I hate about soccer, the world game, football... Yep. is the way players go down, a slight clip of the ankle or whatever, and they go down like they're being shot. And I think that a lot of AFL fans feel the same way. That's one thing that you don't want coming into that game. It's just that kind of ridiculous, over-the-top theatrics, like treating it... I think occasionally you tr trying to con the umpire, I'm fine with, but when it becomes like... You know, I think people are fearful of, it, of the slippery slope will, you know? As, the, uh, as Family First might tell us, it's a slippery slope when it comes to the old, uh, when it comes to the old diving. Oh, yeah. You know what happens, mate? Yeah, first it starts with this, but what's next, mate? Then they bring in an actual swimming pool so people can do actual dives. That's what will <laughs> happen next, mate. And then they won't even be players. They'll get animals that are better at diving, and then the whole game's going to be played by dolphins. Is that what you want? Is that what you want, mate? A dolphin AFL league? Actually, that is what I want. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, you say that sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> Um, what did you feel about the uh, the Travis Cloak hit? I don't remember your feelings at the time because you were standing out in the balcony wringing your hands. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I, look, I, I thought that Zeeble, there was a bit of discussion during the week about whether Zeeble might get some time for it because it looks like Cloak's going to be out with maybe you know, for maybe four to six weeks with you know, his rib injury. And there were some people kind of saying because of the, you know, the time he was going to be out, maybe they should look at Zeeble. But you know what? It seemed like one of those ones that it was just in the split second, maybe half a second too late. But when you're making decisions in that sort of time frame and the way that mm. Zeebel plays, which is close to the line, I thought it was. I was glad that they didn't, you know, rub him out for I, it. I, I was, thought I thought they made the right call. 
I was surprised there was even a discussion about it. Like, I listened to a bit of talkback, which is probably not a great, great place to uh, get rational opinion. But the amount of people who oh, called re- up... Uh, let, remind me to tell you about the feedback I got at SEN when I did, went and did an interview there this week. Because <laughs> they, sit, they sit you next to the text messages come in. Fair to say, some of the people that listen to uh, SEN, not the hugest fans of my work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, some of these people, I think, were also uh, not a huge fan of, of Jack Siebel's because, like, those guys talking about how, you know, it was just gutless and, you know, when a player's kicking the ball, he can't defend himself. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, it's a contact sport. And I don't, I think, I'm always curious with the, you know, it happened with the Luke Hodge thing as well, him getting clipped on the jaw. And they were saying, well, if Luke Hodge had, you know, not, if it wasn't Luke Hodge, if he'd stayed down, you know, that could have been, uh, you know, more weeks than, than what he actually got. But I, I'm always surprised that there's got to be that. There has to be like a slight. Uh, 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 it's a grey area for certain, and you want to protect the player and stuff. But ultimately, you know, if their intent is to, uh, if their intent is not to go out and clip like uh, the guy did with, well, I don't know who the player is. A Geelong player clipped um, Luke Hodge. Remember who that was? No. Whatever. He's got. He's got a holiday. If that's the intent, then okay, you got to protect them. But I didn't feel like Zebel's thing was anything that was out of play and the fact that Travis Cloak was kicking when he or had just kicked the ball when he got hit that's not anything you know the player tackling or, or laying the bump can control like if you're running full full pace at someone to try and you know prevent them from kicking or put pressure on them or, or whatever then you can't sort of make a last minute judgment and say well he's kicking the ball he can't defend himself as well I, I've got to pull out mate sometimes it takes me half an hour to decide what I'll have for breakfast <laughs> <laughs> the idea that these players, like at high speed, you know, at the point of exhaustion in the middle of a high pressure physical contact game in half a second can assess all those things and make those sort of decisions. Zeeble plays the way we like footballers to play. He's hard. He puts his body on the line. I mean, this is the other thing that people forget. It's not like Zeeble smashed Caleb Daniel. Yeah. Like, it's not like he found one of the little kids from the Little League. Like, Cloak's one of the hugest players on the entire ground. And Zeeble, who is a guy who is smaller than Cloak, ran towards this big guy. It could have mm. come off the other way. Like, he yeah. threw his body on the line. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, take a look at the uh, the Josh Gibson hit as well. And he got cleared, and I thought that was fine. I mean, I understand, like, a player gets... Car- no one wants to see an injured player or, or a dude getting opened up or something like that. But it is part and parcel of why we love it. Like... You'd be lying to say you don't love, you know, like a big hit or some guy getting just squared up. But, you know, as I, I think they'd actually do a pretty good job of adjudicating that stuff. Like, they're, the, the hits, I mean, the, the bumps. Like, I, I think that they protect their head. If it's within play, you just let it go. Oh, yeah, but also the other thing is, like you said, it's a contact game. And I almost even dispute, I think we do have to protect the players, obviously, because, you know, we want to protect the players. But even that idea that nobody likes to see a player get hurt. No one likes to see a player get seriously hurt. But we (laughs) like to see players get hurt. (laughs) Like, I love nothing more than seeing players get hurt. And some of my favourite moments in the history of the AFL have been, I mean, the 89 grand final isn't the same if Dermot doesn't get knocked out at the first bounce and Dipper doesn't play with, you know, a punctured lung and broken ribs. That's part of the legend of that 
day. I mean, Joel Selwood, I mean, Joel Selwood bleeds from the head more than most professional wrestlers. Yeah. Like, it's like he's going out there with razor blades, you know, in his wristbands and like flicking himself. In fact, that's maybe what Lindsay Thomas needs to do. If he's going to fake free kicks or anyone who's going to fake free kicks, you've got to go the whole hog. It's yeah. not enough to just dive on the ground. I want to see you come up from the ground. You've got like, you're bleeding from the eye, you know, you've got a little blood pack that you've got in you. Like, if you're going to fake a free kick, fake the whole way. Yeah, 100%. And I, I mean, that comes back to what we discussed last year as well, that all uh, contract renegotiations should take place in the middle of the ground, like the wrestling, so that there can be sneak attacks. I would love to see that. Wouldn't you love to see it? Because at the moment, obviously, the big one is the Players Association versus the AFL and what yeah. the new uh, pay deal will be. And it's got to the point where they're now speculating that there might be industrial action by the players and stuff like that. Mm. I say let's go the other way. Let's go full transparency. And mm. we get uh, yeah, Paul Marsh from the Players Association and Gillan McLaughlin. There's your halftime entertainment. Yeah. That's what you should be doing like at the grand final. Fuck meatloaf. We don't have time to get the stages out there to get some shitty singer there. What we want to see is the end of year contract negotiations on the big screen in the middle. That would yeah. be fantastic. And, and Gil would be a good Vince McMahon as well, don't you think? Oh, I think Gil would be great. He comes out in the big purple mustard jacket. Yeah. You know, that he always wears to these sort of things. He's got his own theme music. What would Gillen's theme music be? Like, what, what would the AFL theme music for, for Gillen be when, like, he walked out onto the ground? Because that's how I reckon you'd do it too. You wouldn't actually have him in the middle of the ground yet. You'd say, it'd be half time. And then suddenly you'd see on the big scoreboard, the music would start to play and you'd see Gillen sort of walking down the race. That's how it had actually worked. Yeah. So you'd have to have some music that, sim- that uh, signaled that he was coming. What would that music be? I mean, I think you'd keep it in the, in the, re- in the realm of professional wrestling. So it's got to be new metal. Like I'm thinking, like, I- I'm, I'm thinking let the bodies hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> let the bodies hit the, let the bodies hit the, um, here's what I would love, in fact, because there is so much of these things around football. You know, there's the laws of the game committee. I mean, obviously, at the moment, no one really understands the third man up rule or the deliberate out of bounds. There's some confusion over how they're being implemented. Again, maybe it's not just the contract negotiations. Maybe we should be having all this stuff. So when you go to the Good Friday game, for example, at quarter time, or maybe throughout the game, you get an update of the, you know, you get the laws of the game committee out there. You've got Lee oh, yeah. Matthews, you've got the head of the umpires, and they have kind of a discussion over what is and isn't deliberate out of bounds. Well, I don't know you need that. I mean, I actually went to the game on Sunday, and there was a fair bit of discussion amongst the crowd about what the fucking rules are. Like, honestly, amongst opposition supporters, because none of us could figure out what the fuck was going on, especially when it came to that deliberate rule. Uh, here's the thing that I was going to say is that I think this is the problem with the AFL in some ways. Like, I don't mind that we change the rules because I do think one, we've talked about this before. One of the great things about the AFL is it actually is, there's a spirit of what AFL is all about. And then they adjust the rules along the way to try to keep that spirit. It's not like soccer where there's like been three rules since the start of soccer and they're the only three rules you really need to know. This is a game that is constantly evolving and they evolve the rules to make sure that the game keeps evolving. And I think that's actually a really good thing. Mm. But I don't think that they fully communicate to us, the viewers of the thing, how the rules have changed. So the umpires mm. might know and they tell the players, but they, mm. don't, they don't have that next step of communicating to the audience. I mean, even the idea of deliberate out of bounds, what's well, not really deliberate out of bounds anymore. They've it's- changed that rule to... 
you didn't are you doing enough to keep it yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Are you doing everything you can to keep that ball in play? Which, fucking hell, I mean, that is a much more complex interpretation, right? Right, and also much harder to yell out at the game. <laughs> you're not doing Is enough doing to keep it in. possible to make sure he kept it in. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, let's move on to the West Coast uh, Sydney game. Uh, I think I picked the Swans in this game like an idiot. Jeez, 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 Louise. I'm still doesn't hasn't changed my opinion of West Coast, um, but Sydney long way back from here. Yeah, I mean this is. I mean, I guess because everybody talked about Sydney last week and they lost to a team that, you know, people perhaps didn't expect them to beat anyway. It seems like the Sydney story has died down a little this week and it's all been about Hawthorne. But, and isn't it amazing that we're having a com- these conversations about Sydney at Hawthorne at round four and it's not about which of them will win the AFL Premiership. <laughs> it's about which is in the most trouble. I mean, it's... It's pretty crazy at this stage, but there seems to be a difference in opinion about where those two teams are. I think there's still a degree of optimism around Sydney that if Sydney gets some of these players back, you know, Heaney and these sort of guys who are going to come back in the next few weeks and then they start to get some consistency, then clearly they think that, you know, there's bigger upside with Sydney than there is with Hawthorne at the moment. And I think they're probably right. Like, I don't think you'd be back for Sydney that you would be in panic stations, but you'd certainly be starting to think... Yeah, is this year going to be a bit of a write-off year for us? Well, Will, you and I are experienced uh, at this mode of thinking. So for Sydney and uh, Hawthorne supporters, they're they're not used to looking to the future, getting excited about seeing the kids play. I think the difference here is that Sydney have some kids to get excited about. They've got this fucking academy system that's just been pumping out these guns and they've they've got a lot of players to get excited about. We'll get to Hawthorne, but... That is the major difference between the two of them. It's like, well, <clears throat> where Hawthorne, they're a victim of their own success. Whereas, like Sydney, have been successful, but they've also had this academy, um, you know, to, to to cherry pick some of the best players from the Riverina region. Yeah, like I mean, they have also. I think, you know, there's a couple of things that I think they would be worried about. I still think Hanbury's only had one good game this entire season, and Luke Parker uh, and uh, Kieran Jack both. Neither of them are looking like the players that they were a couple of years ago. Isn't which... that f- fucking weird? Like, how quick is the drop off? Like, I, if it's it, it staggers me that people are talking about Kieran Jack might be done. I'm like, in my mind, he only started playing a few years ago. Right, and like two years ago, he was pretty much the best player in the competition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he has had obviously like last year he had the trauma. You know, he's had the the family breakdown, and there was all that sort of stuff. And you do mm. wonder. You know, if all those things combined at some stage have some effect, and maybe, you know, maybe he'll it'll be, all be fine. But at the moment, there's a couple of guys there who certainly are not playing at the level that they have previously. But, but you know, they got Heaney back this week, and I, I, look, I still think there's a lot of upside yeah. when it comes to Sydney. But talk to me about West Coast. So, what, what's your? I mean, Josh Kennedy clearly is the number one forward in the game now. You've just got to yeah. say that at the moment he's the number one forward in the game, and you like Josh. Ke- he's your he's your West Coast player. You like, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, cause he doesn't seem like a West Coast player. He's got the big Bush Ranger beard. He's an old fashioned, it's like if Michael Tuck was on steroids. That's what he, that's what he looks and plays like. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's like the incredible Tuck. <laughs> you don't want to make, you don't want to make Michael Tuck angry cause he turns into Josh Kennedy. Yeah, which is also that scene from Silence of the Lambs was also called the incredible Tuck. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, yeah, he's I, great, Josh Kennedy. The thing I love about him and G. Carlton must just be wrapped at how good Eddie Betts and Josh <laughs> Kennedy are playing for other teams. But um, uh, the thing I love about Kennedy is, A, he looks like an old-fashioned footballer. But B, despite all those quirks in his game, you know, that, that ridiculous, you know, run up he has for goal and those sort of things, he has just turned into an incredibly reliable goal kicker. He's a very powerful forward. Um, he seems like a really good bloke. I mean, he, he's very un-West Coast. That's what yeah. I'm saying, Charlie. Yeah, that's I, what, I, don't I normally... agree. That's why, that's who's my favorite West Coast player. <laughs> But I just, how do you feel about the rest of them? How do you feel about just, what you just don't feel like they're, they're I, a I, premiership contender? No, I just reckon there's a... I, I, look, it's so... I, I was listening to a, a West Coast supporter on a, on a podcast talking about, look, that flat-track bully thing's actually a bit of bullshit. When you consider, you know, they've actually won flags, they play half their games on the road, all that kind of stuff. And I agree, I agree. It's a lazy sort of tag. But they're flat-track bullies. Yeah, because they... <laughs> well, I mean, they are flat-track bullies... But probably the thing that we don't take into account is most of the other tracks they play on are like those ones that the Indians prepare, you know, like for their spin bowlers, where like on day one, it's already turning like sideways. That's kind of what West Coast have to do because, yes, they have the biggest travel. They have the hardest travel schedule of any of the teams because everyone talks about that Western Australia trip and how much it takes out of you. Well, they're doing that every second week. So you've got to take into account that, yes, they are great at home but also part of that is because how hard it is for them to to be on the road well i I reckon a good simile like when you think about those great west coast teams of the 90s or even you know the 2005 2006 era there was a real kind of fucking like arrogance to those teams it's kind of what gws are now but i don't feel that with west coast i feel like and again this is you know the the clausen vibe thing my vibe with west coast is that when things are going their way, they're great, and you know they they play a flair and stuff. But they don't have that arrogance where they, like when they come to Melbourne or they go to Sydney or, or Adelaide or whatever. I don't feel like they're going in thinking we're better than this mob. Like they're very much a confidence team. If they're not in, you know, if they're not sort of uh, on the scoreboard early, then really you can write them off. I just I feel like they have a they don't have a lot of those heart and soul type plays. Yeah, it's a really like interesting who's, West Coast. Who, who, who's their spiritual leader? I don't know, Pritis? Really? I don't know. See, I don't... I I mean, I don't know who their Bob Murphy is, who their Nick Revolt is, you know? Like, I don't know who their... I don't know who they look to for that that inspiration. Like, is it Mark Lacroix? The little Frenchman? Like, he seems aloof. No, I don't think it's the Frenchman. I don't think the Fr- I, 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 I would be very shocked if they came out and said, well, the real spiritual heart of this club is Mark Lacroix. <laughs> Yeah, so I just, I mean, I'd be interested to know. I mean, I'm sure the West Coast list, uh, fans will, will hit us up on Twitter, but I'd be interested to know who you think, which of your current players is the heart and soul. Who is your barometer? Who is the guy that you rally around when shit gets tough? Is it Kennedy? Maybe. Who's I don't know. Their, I mean, who's their captain? Who's the West Coast captain? I always forget. Michael, can you look that up for us? Because, oh, it's, yeah, um, like, I know who it is. It's fucking, it's Widow's Peak guy, the guy that we couldn't remember his name. Um, yeah, Hearn? again, Hearn. we can't no. remember his name. Is it Hearn? No. Not Hearn. Uh, I, look, again. Shannon Hearn. You can keep... I know that you're, you keep saying Shannon Hearn, but just because you keep saying it doesn't mean that it's true. <laughs> it might be. I mean, it sounds like a guy I can't remember the name of, but I'm not... 
Does Shannon Hearn even play for West Coast? Yeah, it's Shannon Hearn. Oh, there we go. Shannon Hearn. There you go. Yes. Is Shannon Hearn still a footballer? Is Shannon Hearn the spiritual heart of the West Coast Eagles? I think he would have to be, right? Because... If you've got, if your captain is one of those players, like like you know, like Geary is at the Saints, mm. that isn't necessarily a, you know a household name, then surely doesn't that mean that they're probably the spiritual heart of the club? Oh, he's been captain so. since twenty fourteen, by the way. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't say that Jaron Geary is necessarily. I'd say like Nick Revolt is like if. If we if we were to win the flag this year, they would get Revolt on stage with Geary to hold the cup up, the way they did with Bob Murphy, you know, the way they did with Ben Cousins when Chris Judd was the Premiership captain. Like, who are those kind of players? It's interesting. I, I, that's a good question I'd like to have West Coast feedback on. Yeah, well, I think what you know, Shannon Hearn would do in that situation is say, um, guys, I'd like to get up someone up here that people recognise. <laughs> Any of the other players. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it Nick Nat? Is Nick Nat their kind of... No. You know, when Nick Nat no. knew his... They fu- I mean, two years ago, West Coast fans fucking hated Nick Nat. Like, I was at a game. I was at a game at Subiaco where all the supporters were saying how, like, you know, flaky he was and unreliable. Unless in the last two years he's, like, carried all this favour. But I, I would doubt it. I don't think Nick Nat's a spiritual leader. I can't think of one player. Jamie Cripps. <laughs> I mean... To be honest, I can't name more than half a dozen West Coast players. We may not pay as much attention to the West Coast Eagles. Jack as we Darling, should. Jack Darling. Yeah, d- nah, Darling's not you. S- Sam Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, Sam Mitchell. I think the spiritual heart of the West Coast Eagles is Hawthorne Sam Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's what, why they got him in. Maybe they were like, "Hey, you know, this, this is a brilliant body, but we need a heart replacement. We yeah. have no spiritual heart." And so they imported one from another club. Because clearly, clearly it looks like Hawthorne are playing without their heart. So maybe they have had a heart transplant, but unfortunately the person they got it from didn't have a replacement heart ready. (laughs) (laughs) Hawthorne got rid of their heart and they uh, got in a fresh kidney and a fresh lung, but it turns out they don't replace a heart. (laughs) Should we move on to the next game? Yes, indeed. After that informed commentary on the West Coast Eagles, I feel like we've we've said everything that we can say because we know no more. Well, we talked about the West, uh, uh, the Bulldogs and North. Is there anything more you want to say on that game? I mean, only the fact that it'll be interesting to see how the Bulldogs restructure now, now that um, you know Cloak's going to be out. Whether we go back to sort of the way that we played last year, and you know what, what sort of effect that has on mm. us. Um, the the one thing I would say about this game is, and this has been the story of the Bulldogs so far this season is. I don't think we're playing that well. I mean, in fact, I think we're very kind of we're we're pretty lucky to be three and one, really. But that's a good sign, you know. Yeah. The fact that Sydney is zero and four, and we are three and one, and we've probably not been playing that much better than Sydney, mm. you know, that's a really good result for us. And hopefully, we'll get better as we go. And there were certainly patches in that game where, when we started to play at our capacity, where you were like, "Oh yeah." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could we could beat any team if we played like this, but we're and, only playing it in patches. And, and and Jake Stringer threatened to bust the game open. Like, there's just a couple of things. He almost took a screamer in the goal square, a couple of, like, freaky shots on goal. Like, they're all good signs. Like, he wasn't quiet. He was involved. It just wasn't coming off. So I, d- I don't think you've got much to worry about. And it's 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 a good, even competition. There's going to be... I mean, as we've seen already, and there will be more, there's going to be lots of upsets this year, just the way it's going to go. So... No one should feel. No one should feel safe. No. <laughs> the which, AFL don't feel safe. 
Which uh, leads us perfectly onto the next game, where the Frio Dockers came to Melbourne and, in an absolute nail-biter, uh, got over the Demons. Uh, you said earlier in this podcast that Frio won't play finals. Yeah, Frio won't play finals. 100%, that's your lock of the year? And that is my lock of the year. <laughs> but you know what I am loving at the moment? I'm just loving the fact that Ross Lyon... He seems to be back. I don't know if you've yeah. noticed this in press conferences and stuff, but Ross has got a real swagger back around him. And oh, yeah. like, I like this, I like this Ross Lyon, like the guy who's funny, the guy who's, I don't know if you heard that guy. Did you hear the guy ask him the question about in the press conference about, yeah, your team shit and you're like, you know, you've got no game plan and blah, blah, blah. How are you winning? And he's just handling this shit. Like he's the, he, in the old days, he would have gone the full Mick Malthouse and ripped the guy's head off. But he just has this real wry sense of humour at the moment. Like he's really enjoying coaching football, and I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I I actually enjoyed this game. I, look, I've said earlier that I have a real issue with liking Melbourne just because they're on a similar trajectory to us, and I sort of feel like the rivalry is too close. So I'm happy to see Melbourne lose. But then part of me is just like, oh man, like Melbourne, come on. You know, like how often have you seen them do this where it's like everything should be going well and they just fucking cough it up? Like I know St Kilda supporters are the last ones to point to culture, but it feels like in the last 10 years they have gotten so good at losing that even... You know, a decade of high draft picks and all the expectation in the world and fucking nurturing by the AFL and, you know, Paul Ruse coming in and nursing Goodwin to a senior coaching position. All of that stuff doesn't fucking matter because when it comes down to it, they don't know how to win. Well, the reason they keep coughing it up, Charlie, is because Jesse Hogan is smoking in the change rooms at (laughs) halftime and they're going out with smoke in their lungs in the second half. That's the problem. They just don't have the lung capacity to run out games. How How angry... Do you think Goodwin is at Lewis and and Hogan right now? Like, this has really set their season back now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if they're in last week, they win that game. There's no doubt about that, right? If Jesse Hogan and Jordan Lewis played last week, they win against Fremantle. So, yeah, that's a loss that is completely, you know, kind of you could lay at the hands of those guys. So, you know, you'd you'd be mad at... You'd be mad at them, but I reckon you wouldn't be as mad at them as you were as Jack Watts pre-season because it's easy to be mad at Jack Watts because you know he's not going to find you in an alleyway and kick you to death. But I can't really say the same about Jordan Lewis or Jesse Hogan. So I think I'd be mad at them, but I'd keep it in a quite a measured tone and I'd watch my back when I was walking to my car. That's the sort of mad I'd be at those guys. And as you leave the the team meeting, you just slap Jack Watts over the head just because it's habit habit forming. Yeah. In fact, I'd, I'd slap Jack Watts, but I'd be talking about those guys. I'd be like, this is really inappropriate, Jordan Lewis, and then I'd smack Jack in the head. And I'd be like, and you too, Jesse Hogan, and then I'd kick Jack in the shins. I'd be like, sorry, Jack, but this is the way it's got to be, mate. So, um, Cam McCarthy is back, he's happy, he's playing good football. Now, I don't know the details of you know, the mental stress he was under when he was at GWS, but do you think this sets a precedent for players wanting to get to the club they want to get to, that they can just sit out for a year? I mean, I just feel like most of the issues we was having at GWS were hair related. Yeah. I mean, you got to look. You got to look at that club, and it's it's a man bun club. You know, you got twelve players on the list, all good man buns, and Cam, even though he's got the same sort of vibe going on, it's a ponytail. It's just not quite. 
It's a ponytail. Yeah. It's not a man bun. I mean, that's yeah. it's, it's it's actually interesting because he's got. I mean, Fife is rocking the man bun. So I'm wondering if that was sort of like, if that was some a, a bit of pill for him to swallow. He wanted to go to a more bogan type side, but the captain of the side that he's nominated has a man bun. Do you think he was able to put that aside? Uh, he's probably just looked at that and gone, "I can wait a year until Fife leaves. It'll be fine." <laughs> He'll go and play for some other man bun team next year. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's good to... I mean, mostly in these situations, particularly with someone like McCarthy, where it seemed like, you know, he had some trouble being away from home and away from his family and stuff like that. And again, we don't know the whole story, but that seems to be what has been indicated. Mm. Then I think at the end of the day, we all want to see these guys playing football. Yes. And if it's not one of those things where they're, you know, manipulating the system just to get to where they want to get to, but it's really a thing about going for this person to be able to play football, then I think we're all happy to see Cam McCarthy playing at Frio. And I hope we, I think we all want to, want to see him play well. I just think it's, it comes back to my theory that you don't draft from Western Australia. Like it's just, if you're a Victorian club, especially if you're a Queensland club, just don't draft from, Western Australia, because they'll, they'll just go home. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, one day we're going to have to get to the heart of what it is about Western Australia that's so appealing. <laughs> but <laughs> I just can't enjoy a coffee unless it costs $9. So <laughs> that's the way I roll. <laughs> I can't buy a shark's, mean, tooth, shark's tooth. Ne- I can't buy a shark's tooth necklace anywhere in Melbourne. <laughs> Mate, there's nowhere in Parramatta... That you can get a rip curl singlet, tie-dyed. Come on, guys. <laughs> um, we'll move on to the next game, which was uh, GWS versus Port Adelaide in Canberra. Now, uh, I was in the uh, Virgin Lounge flying to Melbourne on Friday, and the entire GWS team was there. So I did some fantastic... I'm pretending I'm reading my iPad, but I'm actually watching these GWS players move around the lounge type stuff. Oh, and okay. let me just say, Will... They're confident on the field and they are confident off the field. Like, we've used the analogy of the Cobra Kai before. Mate, these dudes were like strutting around that lounge. Not, they weren't being disruptive or, or, or um, uh, uh, obnoxious, but there was just an air of popped collar confidence to those dudes as they glided. And I do mean glided around the lounge. Uh- Give me a vibe for who was sort of gliding around the lounge. Like, how, what were they rocking? Are they all in uniform? Are they all in their GWS yeah, so they got, suits? They've got no, GWS polos, and they're all in compre- those compression skins, you know, the, the leg things, because I guess, you know, it's an hour flight. You don't want to get carpal tunnel or whatever. Um, now, but, hang on. Are they wearing those under other sort of pants, or are they just wearing your compression no, so, pants? Oh, no, they've got shorts over the old over the groin, groinal region. Uh, Hang on, but compression pants and shorts, is that what they're rocking in the lounge? Yeah, yeah. So it's sneakers, compression leggings, shorts, a polo. Mate, you wouldn't get into the Qantas lounge in that. That's why they had to get Virgin as a sponsor of the AFL. They wouldn't let you into the Qantas lounge in that sort of get up. Is that true? Yeah, I reckon that wouldn't pass their dress standards. A pair yeah, of tights right. and some short shorts. Nah, they wouldn't let you on some planes in America wearing that stuff. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> Why did a couple of the GWS guys miss the game? They got dragged kicking and screaming off a United flight. Well, I, I've mentioned before that um, Dylan Shield lives in my neighbourhood. And that same morning before I got to the airport, I went, took my dog for a walk down to the beach. And Dylan was down there with, I assume, his girlfriend or wife and, and, and their dog. And he's a handsome man. Like, 
He, uh, as he strided past me, I was like, he looks like fucking Tom Cruise in The Color of Money. Do you remember that era of Tom Cruise? You know, black hair, flat top Tom Cruise? Like, he's a very good looking fellow. I don't know, maybe because it's a team full of superstars. It's hard to single out just one. Like, but I think at any other club, like Dylan Shield would be the face of that particular club. I mean, he's an amazing yeah. footballer to watch, and but he's a very handsome dude, very very handsome. <laughs> oh, but that's the thing about it. All, all, all those players from GWS. You're absolutely right. Like I read an article during the week, you know, somebody saying yeah by Chris Judd actually talking about how Josh Kelly might be the you know perfect AFL footballer of this next generation. But then you know two weeks ago it was Toby Green who was yeah. the perfect AFL footballer, and you're like. And you're not even talking about Callum Ward or Scully or, you know, Patton or Cameron or yeah. the well, myriad well, of other players they have. Well, basically, the entire Ford line were milling around the coffee machine when I was spying on them. And so it was Jeremy Cameron, John O'Patton, Toby Green. And they, you know what it felt like? It felt like I was at school assembly and the captains and the prefects were getting ready to get up and tell us why we're all losers. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> I mean, they all just seemed like, I don't know. I mean, I guess they are all like junior representative captains and fucking like best and fairest winners and all that kind of stuff. There was just a sense of, I mean, there were, there were women in the lounge, uh, Will, as, as, as is, as, as is policy at Virgin. We let men as and is, women into the as lounge. As is now finally allowed. <laughs> um, but there was, you could see there was a cool awareness of the women in the lounge without it being obvious. But there was also an awareness from the women that the GWS players were in the lounge. It was just, it was, the, the lions were patrolling the Sahara. It's the best way I could describe it. Like, they were definitely kings of their domain. And the other thing that was surprising is that Shane Mumford, I was, he's tall, but he's not, I just imagine like a lump of granite when I think of Shane Mumford, but he's actually quite lithe. He's got a very athletic frame. I don't think I could take him in a fight, I'll be honest with you. But... <laughs> He's not what I'm hearing, Charlie, anyone. is you think you can take Shane Mumford in a fight. So <laughs> that's what I'm hearing. And Shane Mumford, if you're listening, Charlie reckons he can take you in a fight. So apparently you're a bit piss weak, not as big as he thought you would be. <laughs> Please don't find me, mummy. I mean, all he has to do is just uh, find Dylan Shiel and then see me trailing after him somewhere around our neighbourhood. Here's what I would say about the GWS um, game against the Bulldogs last year. It felt like, you know, to use your analogy, you know, one of those high school movies where like, you know, GWS are the kind of the, the pretty girl at school, who's always been the pretty girl at school. And the Bulldogs were the girl who wore glasses that were kind of everybody's best friend, but yeah. then took off the glasses and shook out their hair. And you were like, oh my God, you're beautiful as you're well. Hot. But GWS are definitely the, the obvious beautiful, you know, team oh, you yeah. should be in love with. Yeah, it's, it's the European sports car. Like you've got to keep it, yeah. you've got to keep a cover over it and keep it garage, get it tuned up every two yeah. weeks. Like... I mean, they are just a, an elite unit. And, I mean, Port played pretty well. Like, it was actually an entertaining game to watch. But mm, it's, it's, it's kind of like admiring the tidal wave that is about to come destroy your city. Like, you're watching GWS and there's so much to like, but you know it's just going to bring, like, doom and destruction. Yeah, it's kind of like standing outside and going, wow, those asteroids hurtling towards Earth are actually quite beautiful before <laughs> yeah. they then destroy your home. <laughs> Uh, uh, what were they eating? Talk me through, like, you know, because you're know, around the Carb loading. Did they eat? They were carb loading. Oh, they were? That's what I noticed. Uh, Matthew Lobb got, like, a pile of toast this high, like a huge, like, pile of toast, at least eight or nine slices. 
Um, they were having a lot of coffee. Hang on, eight or nine slices of toast. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think you're allowed to carb load before a game. That's the idea: is you load yourself up with energy and then you burn it all burn it all off. But there's a lot of the coffee. No, machine... but I would have thought that like just eating nine slices of toast isn't the. <laughs> He's I a just big thought fella. it would be protein bars or stuff like that, not like just eat nine bits of toast, mate. No, it wasn't even wholemeal, mate. It was bloody tip-top white. <laughs> uh, coffee, was, coffee was also very popular. Um, they seem yep. to enjoy the lattes, cappuccinos, okay. no flat whites being ordered. Um, but they... Uh, oh, actually, here's the one thing <laughs> that I do remember. I went to the bathroom at one point. And there was a GWS. Now I'm assuming he's a doctor or a masseuse. You know, he's he's kind of an older bloke, but he's wearing the uniform and stuff. And I was, at the, I was in the urinal next to him. I went and washed my hands. He finished up, left without washing his hands. Now I assume this is a guy who will mm. be putting his hands on the players at some stage, either as a doctor or a masseuse. Mm. Mm. I'm hoping he was a boot stutter because that's about the best you could hope for. But if he is any kind of like physical contact with those players, then expect some pink eye to break out at GWS in the next few weeks. I mean, that would be quite hilarious if like, you know, the reason that GWS faltered towards the finals was they had a really bad run with pink eye. (laughs) (laughs) Nine, nine Nine players out this week with pink eye. Should we move up to Metricon? Yeah. And by the way, I would, the only thing I'd, other thing I'd say about that game is I reckon if you're a Port Adelaide supporter, you're not any more disheartened about oh, how no. this season might go. Mate, I, I thought think they, they... if you can get within four goals of GWS this year, if you can beat them, fantastic. But a, a, a loss where you don't get blown out of the water is a win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, Gold Coast, uh, 17-6-108, defeated Carlton 12-10-82. couple of good games for Gold Coast in a row. Gary Ablett. Excellent again. So, mm. just turns out he had one bad week. Let's not <laughs> have it, guys. Fucking calm down. He had down. one bad week. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> Everything's fine. Turns out he's still awesome at football. And uh, uh, Gold Coast are bucking the trend of inaccurate goal kicking. I didn't realise it was 17-6. That's fucking amazing. Well, Tom Lynch, man. Oh. Like, that's the thing about him. How he's good again, is Tom Lynch? Just, oh, so good. Did you see, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, they did a thing in the paper, a comparison of all the great centre-half forwards and him and where he is placed at this, at this same age. And he's on track to be a superstar. Well, he's a superstar, but he's on track to be one of the greatest of all time. Oh, yeah. And the other thing that we've got to remember is that he's been doing this, playing the most difficult position on the ground in a team that has been playing pretty much terrible football for three years. Mm. So, I mean, if they actually manage to get it together and give him some decent delivery like they did last week, then, you know, he could be anything. Like, I mean, he's clearly an absolute, absolute superstar. And I think if he was playing for any other team but Gold Coast, you know, we'd be talking about him more. There's now a bunch of teams sitting on two wins, two losses. Now that G, uh, now that Gold Coast are up there as well and Frio as well, so it's interesting. I think it's good. It sort of feels like it's round one again now. Like there's been a, a few sputters and misfires and stuff, but now we're sort of back to round one, and all these kind of teams get to get to have another crack at it. Yeah, I agree with that. And look, you know, Carlton again, competitive. Like you got to be happy if you're Carlton with the fact that like it's one of those seasons so far with Carlton where I think they'll probably not win as many games as they did last season, but every single game so far. You know, at least for three quarters, they've been you know, competitive. It's, and there's a lot to like about Carlton still, I think. Yeah, and you just got to love Jack Silvani, right? Like, 
for us old football supporters, it's like it's like a reboot where they got the casting just right. It's like, oh my god, he looks just like Sauce. Is there any sport in the world? And I might be completely wrong. There might be heaps of sports. I just don't know. I'm asking the question. But is there any sport in the world that has such a great success with? family dynasties, you know, that sort of father-son thing. I mean, in the AFL, the idea that, like, you know, Gary Ablett Sr. and Gary Ablett Jr. would be both in the sort of top 10 players of all time. But, you know, the Silvanis now, that's three generations, you know, who've played, you know, and it, it, it continues to be the case where you have generations of players coming through, you know. I mean, the mm. Bulldogs obviously have, you know, a, you know, a bunch at the moment, and, you know, um, you've got Danaher and all these guys. Geelong's had a great success with father well, the, sons. Well, like, the Dana, the Danaher it, family single-handedly populated the AFL. Right. Is there any other sport that, or maybe should your policy be that you only draft people who want to have big families? Is yeah. that what you should be doing? Like, like to be honest, our new policy is we're only drafting Catholics who well, don't believe in contraceptive, and we don't want any. And we're going to uh, like the old days in China. No female babies. <laughs> oh, no, now we've got the AFL women's. Actually, that's fine. Yeah, we can yeah lots of female, female babies. babies. Yeah, that's fine now. <laughs> uh, moving over to uh, Adelaide Oval. Wow, this was a great game to watch just for pure premiership favouritism. Adelaide uh, thumped Essendon, who'd hit the wall. Um, John Worsfold later clarified his comments that he was only talking about one or two players. Uh, I don't think he was at the time. I think he actually was being genuine. He's talking about all of them, but he, uh, he, he retracted that comment yesterday, I saw. Well, I think that uh, most of the players hit the wall and uh, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody skipped around the wall <laughs> or jumped over the wall because he was sensational again. Like, that yeah. was one of those things where you're like, you know, there was a, there was a bit of speculation at the start of this season that uh, Tipper might have dropped out of the team now that you know all the other players came in that he might be fighting for his spot in the team but so no. far he's probably been their most consistent and best player for the entire season it's really brilliant to watch he's such an exciting footballer and one of the best falcons i've seen this year so far did you see joe watson getting a handball to the face in the seat in the center i mean and that's a high degree of difficulty because as we had reports from the ground apparently joe dennis her's head in person still looks as small as it used to you don't often see a falcon from a handball. Like, generally, falcons come from, like, a, a missed mark or whatever or, like, a missed kick. But to actually get a handball in the face, that's pretty good stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, high-class stuff. And Adelaide has done the unthinkable for a Western Bulldog supporter and a Saints supporter, and they're making us like them. And I, I, I'm yeah. an unashamed Adelaide fan now. Like, I think it's also a little bit of the Phil Walsh thing, you know, like, just to see where they've come from and losing danger and just there's so much to like about the story of this team where they've come from and what's going on and just just watching that forward line is so exciting it's magnificent to watch isn't it and they've, yeah. they've, and they haven't had it at full strength yet this season i think i don't think they've had a game where they've all you know played at the same time it's just going to be awesome power when they do that's the problem with adelaide is you know as a spectator is you want to see them kick goals <laughs> Yeah. Like when it goes down there, you want Tex to get it, or you want Eddie Betts to get it, or you want Cameron to get it, because you know that something exciting is going to happen. Mm. Yeah, it is one of those things where, like, it, it kind of hurts me a little how much I like Adelaide and how much I'm happy for Adelaide's success. I also think there's a little bit of the GWS things helping. Again, there's just that thing of going, anyone who can beat GWS, yeah. you have a bit of extra... 
You yeah, know, my the they're the, they're the, the people's enemy cha- of my enemy pe- is my friend. The people's yeah. champion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're the anyone but GWS faction. Yeah, a hundred percent. Essendon, who knows what's going on? I'm happy to see them fall back to the pack. I was getting a bit worried the way they started the season. Uh, moving on to Etihad Stadium on Sunday, and the Mighty Saints uh, defeated Collingwood in one of the more uninspiring games I've attended in the last few years. Um, a win's a win. Uh, as we said about the Bulldogs, if you can play not that well and still grind out a win, you'll take it. But uh, I had the added um, uh, the added factor of my jet lag decided to hit me on the Sunday. So I was sitting in that chair watching one of the more uninspiring games of football, feeling like I wanted to die, and getting into it with uh, a woman in the row in front of me. <laughs> oh, really? A Collingwood fan? Yeah. You, you, well, you remember the last uh, Collingwood game we went to? You came with me last year and I got into it, didn't I? <laughs> something yeah. About, something about Collingwood supporters. I don't know what it is. Well, it's one of those things, too, where what was her basis of... What was the argument over? What were you getting into? Like, what was uh, the main point of contention? She was just uh, an annoying supporter who would just... You know, some supporters, they don't, they don't barrack for their team. They barrack against you. Like, they support towards you. Like, every comment she made was like a retort to, like, if I had called out, you know, something supportive of my team, her next call would be something to negate that thing. Like, you know, great mark, Rui, and then Rui miskicks it, and she's like, oh, yeah, great kick, Rui, like that kind of shit. And so I sort of let it slide for the first half. But she was an ignoramus. Like, she didn't understand the rules. And the other thing, too, was she was sitting with her kid. Her husband, and they, they, she was in with her husband and her kid, and the kid was sitting next to her. He would have been about seven or eight years old. And I am like... What kind of example are you setting for your child here? Like, mouthing off and, like, trying to start shit. And that's what she was actually doing. And at one point, when we took control of the game in the second half, we started playing a bit of tempo footy and chipping it around. We were, like, 20 points up or something. And then Collingwood got possession, and they started chipping it around. And she's yelled out, No, Collingwood, don't play like St Kilda. And I was like, if you're playing like us, you'd be winning. And then that was it. She got the husband, got the son, and she was out of there. They left. They didn't stick around for the last quarter. Oh, they left? Yeah. Yeah. You drove them away. I don't know, but I think, I think Bucks drove them away, if I'm 100% honest. But uh, it actually, that was the, uh, you know, I, I should be thankful for her because it livened up what was a, a pretty ordinary game. We just, our goal kicking at the moment is shocking. There's a couple of good things to come out of it. Jack Billings, 28 touches. I think it's five inside 50s, nine tackles or whatever. But he kicked one five. And he is like, he's why he was recruited is his like his skills. He's meant to be an amazing kick, but we just can't fucking hit anything at the moment. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those games where you know it, Collingwood undid a lot of their good work as well from the Sydney victory. Like they, one hundred and fifteen like, tackles yeah. down to fifty five. Yeah, it did not really seem like they you know, brought the same level of intensity. It's one of those games, isn't it, where they only lost by fourteen points. And it's pretty much led to everybody going, oh, no, we're back to Buckley being fucked and he's got to go. And well, it's all over for Collingwood. We, like, with, with 10 minutes to go, we should have been six goals up. Like, we, I think we're four goals up and we just missed three or four shots directly in front. And then in junk time, they came and, and they snatched a couple back. But they never at any stage from about halfway through the second quarter looked like getting anywhere near us. It was really just a question of Wilson Kill to kick themselves out of the game. Um, yeah, and but, look, this has proved the one thing that we've thought about Collingwood that you always say is they are good backs to the wall. And after last week, back was no longer on the wall. Yeah. You know, they, uh, Essendon ran into favorites. the wall. They, 
They went into that game favourites. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so maybe this week when their back is against the wall again, we'll see a different Collingwood. Well, the one thing I noticed from seeing them live is that apart from their much vaunted midfield, they don't really have much else. Like they don't really have. When you're relying, when you're forward line, you're relying on Jesse White and an underdone Jamie Elliott to kick all your goals. Then you're in fucking serious trouble. Like they just don't have a great back line, don't have a great forward line. They've got a great midfield, but. When you've got a team like St Kilda, who we've probably got a B-grade midfield or a B-plus midfield, but what we've got is a shit ton of stoppers, then that's all you have to take care of with Collingwood. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next game was uh, Richmond. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, of course, Richmond. The Tigers. The Tiger Army. Up and about, it's fair to it. say. I love it. After 17-17-119, a defeat of the Brisbane Lions, 10-7-67. So a comprehensive belting. Richmond just up and about, flying. Uh, confidence all over town. This might be the year for Richmond. Signed Hardwick to a 10-year contract. No. Dusty's going to win the Brownlow medal. Hang on. Are Here you, come the are Tigers. You, Yellow you... and black. <laughs> are you really hearing that? I think you're hearing that in your head because anecdotally... Every Richmond Ice supporter I'm talking to is not enjoying this because they know that something is coming. Like I even caught up my, my, my sister and my brother-in-law on Sunday and he's a mad dyed-in-the-wool Richmond supporter. And we talked about their start to the season and he was like, it's not, this is no good. This is no good. Like what are they building towards? It's gone. It's the kind of thing where we will win a bunch of games and then something will happen and we won't make the finals or we'll make the finals and we'll lose two. We'll take top four, we'll lose two finals in a row and we'll get bundled out in straight sets. So I'm not feeling a whole lot of optimism from Richmond supporters. There's a whole lot of, it's like a battered, uh, a battered, a battered housewife where it's like, why is he bringing me flowers? They've Why is he buying me chocolates? What? Am I, I'm going to get a real hiding. Something bad is about to happen. Yeah, I think they've got. Yeah, they've got post Richmond uh, stress, stress disorder. disorder or something. Because yeah. it's like it really is one of those things where you've been burnt too often. But this is what I feel like as a bulldog, right? You know, people always say that that bulldog attitude was that at some stage it will go badly. But the truth is that was just based on evidence. That was just based on. The fact that every time in your history, eventually things went badly. And I understand mm. if you're a Richmond fan, you know, why would, you know, you don't want to be Charlie Brown always running towards the ball and Lucy pulling it away every time. Eventually yeah. you're like, well, fuck this shit. Lucy's going to pull the ball away. So why yeah. would I even get excited about running in and kicking it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I love it. I think it, this, we've said numerous times in this podcast, there's nothing better for football than Richmond being up and about. Up and except about. for Richmond stumbling at a, a stumbling when they shouldn't. That is, but it just makes it better. Like I, I would love it if they fucking didn't lose a game for the entire season because then it would be the most interesting final series of all time. I always think that Richmond are like, a, you know, the perfect Richmond season is like a perfect EDM dance track <laughs> where, like, you know, you get the re- the real build up before the drop. Yeah. yeah, and that's you know if you have the proper build up, if you kind of yeah, and here then it when comes. it drops, yeah. then it, here it comes, here it comes, oh here it comes, yeah. oh no, here it comes, yeah. no, and the bigger it gets, the harder it drops. That's what Richmond is, and I, I can't wait for it to drop, but I hope it builds up a little bit more before it does. But in all seriousness, they look better. I mean, Brisbane um, uh, are no slouches, and you know they they're competitive. And Richmond did what yeah. good teams could do to a lower team. They beat them, you know, 
quite convincingly, 10 goals or so. And their midfield looks great. And I think they've got a good balance uh, of, like, now that they've, now that they've got um, uh, a good midfield, it's the balance from the defense to attack is really strong now. And no Tyrone Vickery. Oh. And, and, you know, Cochin, like, is at that point where, like, you know, he's the Cochin of four years ago now. Yeah. It just shows having that extra couple of players in the mix, taking a little bit of the pressure off, can really mean that those players can play at their full capacity. And, yeah, um, yeah look, I mean, I'm, I, I'm really optimistic to keep following this, but you've got to start thinking that at least Richmond are looking at playing finals now. Now, they might, <laughs> they, they might still fuck it up from here. Yeah. But that's the fun adventure that we're about to go on, Charlie. It's My a good brother- setup. It's opened well, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, well, I'm in. I'm certainly going to watch the rest of this season. <laughs> My brother-in-law said after round one, he and his mates decided there should be a new classification, best not on ground, which would go to Tyrone Vickery. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this week, best not on ground. And uh, it turns out two weeks in a row, the best not on ground for Frio has been Zach Dawson. <laughs> Final game. Two weeks in a row. Uh, final game uh, was very painful for our poor producer, Mike Hal, to watch. Uh, Geelong delivered Hawthorne's second consecutive 86-point drubbing. Um, did you watch this game? Uh, no, I didn't actually see it. I uh, was uh, I was um, keeping in touch with it, uh, you know, watching uh, like the, the results on the app. and Because, uh, of course, I picked Hawthorne to make the eight at the start of the season, and I decided that Geelong would be the team that would drop out of the eight. <laughs> so it turns out I was probably wrong. I'm, I'm willing at round four to call. I was wrong. I was very, very wrong. Um, it turns out that Geelong is still pretty good. And, in fact, Geelong have seemed to be a little bit better than they were last year. I think they're using uh, Dangerfield. There was a great article in the paper this week about how much more he's handballing and bringing other players into the game and how they've changed up their game style a bit. Selwood is still one of the best players in the game, but it feels like some of their other players around it have, have stepped up into those roles. Guthrie. So, you know, you, Guthrie. Yeah. He's a, he's fucking, he's a great midfielder, but what is going on with that hair? I can make head nor tail of it. I sound a bit chopper reed there. I can make head nor tail of it, Will, but, uh, <laughs> Have you seen it? Like, what is it? Is it dreadlocks or is it just like woolly? And then there's some like pink ribbons in it. Like, uh, I'm having a hard time knowing what I'm looking at. He definitely Uh, wouldn't wouldn't get a game in a Western Australian team with hair like that. I mean, look, the other thing, I'm having a look at him now. All I would say is his hair would be a lot more stringy. On the West Coast. That's yeah, what yeah. it feels like. With I feel like it would really dry out. Yeah, I feel like he, he probably isn't conditioning properly. That would probably be my advice, just from looking at these photos on the internet. I would say he probably needs like a good conditioner. It feels like he's got some extra frizz in there, and yeah. he probably needs a conditioner at the moment that kind of like will take out some of that frizz and kind of settle his hair down. It's, it's got a bit of a blonde Tommy Alvin look to it, don't you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that seeing that I've Googled him um, uh, here on Google Images, I- I'm getting like pictures of him from when he was like about 15 playing like juniors. And it's fair to say, uh, if it was like one of those booper ads, that the fresh-faced uh, 15-year-old in the Geelong advertiser is not the person you now see in front of you. <laughs> it feels like he's been living on an island with a volleyball as his best friend. Maybe that was his preseason. He went to a deserted island and he took a Sharon that he drew a face on, and that's why that's how he's that's how he's trained in the preseason. That was his version of altitude training. He's he's gone the castaway method. He's been on the coconuts. Uh, really worked it out. Um, poor old Hawthorne, hey, fuck, mate. Like, 
no, draft picks. I mean, you know. They reckon the earliest they will get into the draft, because they have GWS's first rounder, will be yep. mid-30s. I mean, and this, this is, is what they see. This is a team that needs to rebuild. So the only option is to trade out, right? I mean, the amazing thing about what has happened is, and this is the delicious irony of it all, and I know that it's, it's as a Hawthorne fan, I bet there are some Hawthorne fans who are like, oh, come on. We've done nothing but just be a good football team. And, you know, like Hawthorne pretty much have gone about it the right way and all those sort of things. They were smart. They traded well, all these sort of things. But you know what, guys? You were just too good for too long. And when you are and when you fall, people are going to enjoy that. Oh, yeah. But an added bit into this mix is the fact that, A, they traded next year's first round to you guys. So the idea that if they finish last, they don't even get the benefit of finishing last, you will get that benefit. I mean, there's that delicious irony. But secondly, that their first pick in the draft is GWS's first round pick, which GWS aren't going to finish down the bottom. That is not going to be a high pick either. So they are in a little trouble when they're looking to rebuild. Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you think? Have you, I'm, I haven't seen a headline yet that reads Jaeger bomb, but uh, <laughs> that's going to be coming, right? Ah, oh, look, I mean, Jaeger's not the problem, though. This is the... I mean, the problem, as we can see, is those other players who were made better by the people who have gone. It's mm. not Jaeger's fault. It's not Mitchell's fault at this stage. It's those other players that haven't stepped up at the moment. That's, that's what's going on at Hawthorne. But you did say that thing about they've got to trade their way out of it. How do you do that? Because if they yeah. do, what do you do? Do you go to the market with someone who still has some value? Yeah. I mean, do you put a Cyril Rioli or somebody like that on the market who you would still get genuine, like, you know, high draft picks for? Or yeah. do you try to, you know, look at your Gunstons and your Bruce and those sort of players and Poppy and see if you can, like, you know, get some value out of players like well, that? I would say, I think someone like Cyril, even though he's heart and soul of that club, I think you do put him on the trade table because he is your icing player. He's not a guy that you, he's not a plank which you do your rebuild on. You need to get some young players in. Cyril still have height. You could probably get two first rounders for Cyril at least, don't you reckon? Or a first and second rounder for Cyril? Oh, particularly for a team who was just about there. Oh, can you imagine imagine if he went to Adelaide? Imagine Eddie Betts and Cyril in the same forward line. Or imagine if he went to, because we've got to talk about a place that might have something of value to trade for him. Imagine if you're GWS. Say Stevie J finishes at the end of this year and you decide that you need someone to fill that sort of Stevie J role, that experienced forward line person. And GWS might have that opportunity to go, but we will give you three, you know, young gun top 10 draft pick guys that aren't getting into our main team at the moment they might help Hawthorne rebuild I mean he'd be dynamic at a club like that yeah yeah I mean I Hawthorne think... fans much Hawthorne fans must love this by the way not only are you going badly but also we're, we're talking about getting rid of Cyril so you can just not enjoy the football at all oh <laughs> uh, no it's great it's wonderful equalization at its best um I need to go soon so let's move on to next week's games yep uh, first up, we've got Port Adelaide versus Carlton at Adelaide Oval. Uh, pff, I mean, Port Adelaide. Port Adelaide easily within that game, right? Carlton um, have been having a crack, but this is Port. Yep. Yeah. Western Bulldogs, uh, Western versus Bulldogs. Bre- Brisbane Lions at Etihad Stadium. Danger game, Will. Danger game. You're not I playing am, great. I am going to this game. It is right. Bob Murphy's 300th. Oh yeah, we should mention um, that. Yeah, uh, yes, and uh, in fact, after we're done with this, I have to write a tiny little piece for the newspaper, 200 words on Bob Murphy. I'm not really sure what I'm going to write, but I have to do it after this. But uh, I am going to go to the game on the weekend. Bob has designed the jumpers. 
for the game. There are special Bob Murphy 300th jumpers that he has designed himself. Old school collars, which is fantastic. And look, I think we'll get this done. I think we're, hopefully we're still better than the Brisbane Lions at Eddie had in Bob Murphy's 300th game. And if we're not, then, you know, then next week's podcast might be very depressing. Do the Bulldogs have a history of delivering in milestone games? Like for Brad Johnson, Chris Grant... Uh, I mean, I don't think the milestone games like mean that much, to be honest. But yeah. I think that Bob Murphy's 300s might be something that is a little higher than that. It might yeah. be elevated a little higher than that. Yeah, so I, 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 would, I would be very hopeful that we will win that one and win it convincingly and maybe get some of our form back. And it'll be interesting to see how we play without Cloak and you know without some of the taller boys in the team. It's going to be an interesting game for us, but I'm pretty confident that we will win that one. Up, up at Metricon Stadium, the Suns take on the Crows. Um, good game, I think, this could be. I think the the travel bring, makes it a more even playing field. Uh, I just think Adelaide, I mean, they're just too good. I, I can't really see G, G, uh, Gold Coast getting over them. Uh, getting over them. Can you? No, nah, I can't either. I mean, if, if they do, um, then you've got to take a whole new look at Gold Coast. But no, I would say Adelaide will still win that one. They're a really, really good football team. But it should be a really entertaining game if Gold Coast bring it. Uh, Sydney v GWS, the Battle of the Bridge, Charlie, uh, at the SCG. Um, well, this, the SCG is, is, no, is no fortress this year. They've had two losses there, and they're coming up against their little brothers. They're fucking cocky, more talented, better-looking little brothers. It's basically Alec Baldwin is looking at Billy Baldwin right now, and it's 1993, and he's like, holy shit, I might have to reinvent myself as a fat, funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> right, but the thing is that Alec Baldwin ended up having a better career than Billy Baldwin. So yeah. that kind of is the Sydney Swans at this stage. The Sydney Swans still have the runs on the board. Yeah. GWS, sure, potential, but they haven't actually won anything yet. Um, but you'd have to think that you know where those two teams are at the moment, uh, GWS will probably win that, and then Sydney are 0-5, and, and then things get really scary for Sydney, I imagine. Over at Penis Stadium, Fremantle take on the North Melbourne Football Club. I reckon this could be a real... You know what? I'm going to call it. North are going to win this, and that's my lock of the week. That could definitely happen, I think. I think that North Melbourne could definitely win that game, but I'm going to say Frio. I reckon Frio at home, uh, on a little bit of a roll, bit of youth in there, feeling good. I reckon Frio, but could go either way, that one, well, I reckon. I think what will happen at halftime, Will, is you'll see that Brad Scott will bring out a little bottle. He'll take the lid off, he'll crack it open, he'll take a little sniff, he'll pass it around the boys, he'll say, there you go, fellas, get that into you. It's a little bit of ammo, I mean, it's a little bit of shin bonus spirit. Uh, Sunday, the St Kilda Saints taking on Geelong at Etihad Stadium. Now, uh, how do you feel about this game, Charlie? We're going to fucking win this game. I'll tell you why. They haven't beaten us in fucking two years. We match up well against them. They're overrated, and we're due for a good game. We've slowly but surely been putting our season together. Jack Stephen comes back in. Last year, we put Seb Ross to Paddy Dangerfield, shut him out of the game. He went to uh, Trelaw last week, shut him out of the game. So we actually match up quite well against Geelong. And I just think we're due for a season-defining victory, and I think this will be the round. In fact, fuck you, kangaroos. St Kilda beating Geelong, that's my luck of the week. I hope that you're right, because my prediction that Geelong won't make the eight is looking pretty silly at this stage, but I would say Geelong still will, at the at the moment, are probably playing well enough to get over you guys in this one. 
And then we have uh, Hawthorne versus the West Coast Eagles at the MCG. Now, if ever there was a time for Hawthorne to make a statement, this mm. would be the time for them to make that statement. They're at home at the MCG. They're playing West Coast, you know, who don't travel that well. They're, West Coast are a high on the ladder team. They're playing against, you know, Sam Mitchell, whether he plays or not, because there's some question mark about whether he'll be uh, fit and ready for the game. But you're playing against Sam Mitchell. Is there any chance, Charlie? That um, that Hawthorne beat West Coast at the MCJ. I think there is. I think that this could be a game that Hawthorne will win. But uh, I'm barracking for my draft pick, so I hope West Coast win. Uh, pfft, I don't know. I fucking flip a coin. I will say Hawthorne will win this one. Yeah, I'm going to say West Coast. I reckon West Coast will win, but uh, I would like to see Hawthorne win that one. And then on Mel- on Monday, Richmond take on the Demons at the G. Now this, I reckon this is a. An interesting game. Melbourne need to win. Jesse Hogan's back this week. They need to make a statement, I reckon, Melbourne. Richmond going along beautifully. Is it is it time for a, a no. Richmondy moment or is does no. the dream just continue? Does it steamroll over this moment? I think the dream continues. Although hang on, uh Hogan and Lewis back? Uh Hogan's back. Lewis has still got another week. No. I, I think Richmond are, I think Richmond uh, they're they're in the zone. It's not quite. This would be a an anti climax if Richmond were to lose this game. Uh, I think Richmond will win this. Melbourne still have got the ghosts of past haunting them. There's there's a bigger there is a bigger drop off coming, Will, and it's not this game. I'm going to pick Richmond. Yeah, I reckon Richmond to keep rolling along as well uh, and keep the Richmondy dream alive. Um, all right, that's it, right? No, that's no, that, no. Well, no, the biggest round. game of the round, mate. The Pies oh, versus that's the right, Bombers of course. and Zach Day. Day. Uh, oh, sorry, I forgot that we, I, we don't normally play on a Tuesday. I assume the Monday <laughs> game was the last one. But yes, of course, the Anzac Day Clash, uh, the final game of the weekend. And uh, Essendon versus Collingwood at the MCG in the battle of no one really cares. Yeah. Um, Essendon will win this game. Collingwood are rubbish. Collingwood do have their backs against the wall. And last week, Essendon ran into the wall. I mean, this is the, this <laughs> the, is the battle, battle of the wall. The yeah, this is the, this is the battle of the wall, guys. Yeah, it's the Matt uh, Damon we'll, we'll film, get... the Great Wall. Yeah, uh, basically, Essendon have said that they're going to get Collingwood. They're going to build a wall. Collingwood are going to get their backs to the wall, and they're going to get Collingwood to pay for the wall. <laughs> so, uh, I think Essendon as well, but. It, it, yeah, it's a flip of the coin, this one. But I think Essendon uh, will recover from next week, get a bit of their form back, and <coughs> uh, beat Collingwood at yeah, the MCG. Bit, you copped a bit of shinbone spirit there, did you, mate? Just inhale it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. The, the shinbone spirit just went down the wrong way. I apologise. <laughs> All right, um, let's wrap it up. Just be- yeah, just before we go, um, I, I have a few more days at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, so if you want to see my show, Critically Will, uh, there are four more shows, including Saturday night at the State Theatre at the Arts Centre, which is a huge show, 2,000-seat um, room. So there's obviously, you know, some tickets left to that. Um, but I had a great time there last Saturday night. And uh, the other thing is, if you would like to vote in the Vodafone People's Choice Awards, uh, you can do that and you can win a... Um, holiday to Hong Kong just for voting so if you like to show at the festival you might w- want to vote for my show but maybe another show that you liked uh, you can vote for that as well and um, uh, yeah that's all at the Comedy Festival website so I'd recommend that because I give away like cash and holidays and stuff just for doing something that's free to do so there you go you can do that and with that I say play on not 15 uh, did not give enough effort to keep the ball in going over the boundary line we are two guys one car.